Hello, welcome to Pursuing God, the Life of King David. My name is Jason. This is this is Kurt. This is a, a podcast of the Eastridge Church of Christ here in Rockwall, Texas. This is a, a podcast that's primarily intended for our folks here uh, at Eastridge, but with the, the nature of the internet and all of that, the providence of God, uh, it may be that you've stumbled upon this episode as we're considering the, the life of uh, a man after God's own heart. And so if, if uh, you stumbled upon this podcast, I'm grateful that you would, would join us. Uh, what a privilege it is for us to be able to, to learn together. This is our third episode in this series. Uh, in week one, Kurt led us through what it looks like uh, to be a person who is in pursuit of, of God's heart, uh, what it looks like to, to be a, a person after God's own heart. Uh, the second episode, um, I took the lead and we considered David's anointing by the prophet Samuel. Uh, David as this unlikely uh, king of God's people. And so this week we're going to move forward and we're going to consider a few of the things that lead up to the scene of David and Goliath. Next time, Kurt is going to walk us through uh, a study of perhaps the scene in David's life that gets the most uh, face time, that, that, uh, the most uh, VBS time at least. Uh, David in, in Goliath. Uh, but this week, what we're going to do is just to consider a few of the things that kind of set up that scene, uh, a few of the things that lead us toward uh, the event of, uh, of David and Goliath. I'm going to try my best not to, uh, not to get into what you're going to get into, but uh, if there's some overlap, that'll, that'll be all the better. Uh, David standing against the giant uh, Goliath, um, or as, uh, as Charles Swindoll calls it, David versus the Dwarf, right? Or, or, uh, David and the Dwarf. David and the Dwarf. Yeah, yeah David yeah. and the Dwarf. Looking at things uh, from, from God's perspective. Uh, and so last time we looked in 1 Samuel chapter 16, God speaking uh, to the prophet Samuel, and God saying in verse 7, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at his, his height or his, his stature. Uh, God saying to, to Samuel, uh, I see things differently than you do. And so don't, don't consider his appearance or his height or his stature, uh, for humankind looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's, that's what we saw in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And it's almost like as soon as those words are uttered, we, we forget the words. Uh, we forget that God has said, uh, this is the way that it's done. Uh, we may look at things um, uh, from a, a temporal sort of perspective, uh, but God looks from a, from a divine perspective. And if you remember, this is, uh, this is the very thing that has gotten Israel in the trouble that it's in. As Israel uh, says that they, they want uh, a king like the other nations. And, and of course, God gives them what they, what they want in Saul. And imagine that it doesn't, it doesn't work out all that all that well. Be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Lord looks at the heart. And so uh, I'm going to fast track to 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to go ahead and, uh, and turn in that direction. The army of Israel is, is lining up for battle against the army of the Philistines. Uh, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop short of uh, David's clash with, with Goliath, but I want to look at, at a few of the things uh, along the way that, that lead us um, to that conflict. And maybe, I don't know, maybe even in, in, uh, in this portion, to, to read a little bit more than, uh, than what maybe I would traditionally do. Usually, you know, Kurt and I co-teach a Sunday morning class together. And, and uh, 
having different styles, usually I will come in and say, okay, here's a question. How do you feel about it? Let's talk about it for the next half hour. Uh, and then Kurt will, will, will come in and say, okay, I really don't need anything from you. I just need to tell you this is how it is. Uh, maybe we flip that this, this time around. Go. Yeah, there we uh, go. And uh, I'm uh, uh, probably going to read a little bit more than I, than I normally would, but um, prayerfully, it sets us up for, for what we're going to look at with, uh, with the scene of David and Goliath. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 17, and I'm going to read from the New International Reader's Version. It's actually a version that's, that's, that's really written for kids, um, but it's uh, just as I read through it, it was really helpful in, uh, in this portion of the text. Beginning in verse 1, the Philistines gathered their army together for war. They came to Soko and Judah. They set up camp at Ephes Damim. It was between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the army of Israel gathered together. They camped in the valley of Elah. They lined up their men to fight against the Philistines. The Philistine army was camped on one hill. Israel's army uh, was on another, and the valley was between them. And so this, this sets up this scene of these two armies who are both in a, a strategic sort of, sort of position. A mighty hero, verse 4, named Goliath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was from Gath. He was more than nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his hand. He, head. He wore bronze armor that weighed about 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze guards. He carried a bronze javelin on his back. His spear was as big as a weaver's rod. The iron point on the spear weighed about 18 pounds. Uh, the man who carried his shield walked along in front of him. Uh, you know, last year as a, as a church family, we went through uh, the, the high points of, of Scripture, one continuous story. I guess I said last year. I guess all, all of this year. Really. Last sermon series. Yeah, last sermon series, yeah. yeah. Um, and when we got to David and Goliath, I, I knew what I wanted to work with for that Sunday. And so I put a message out on, on Facebook, and I said, I need an 18-pound bowling ball. Uh, and I had so many people that responded, I've got a 15-pound one, I've got a 13-pound <laughs> one. No, I need an 18-pound bowling ball. And finally, I, I had one, and I wanted to just illustrate you know, how – how heavy the, the end of, of Goliath's spear uh, would, have, would have been. Um, verse 8 and following. Goliath stood there and shouted to the soldiers of Israel. He said, why did you come out and line up for battle? I'm a Philistine. You're servants of Saul. Notice his language. You're servants of Saul, not of God. Choose one of your men, have him come down and face me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll be your slaves. But if I win and kill him, you'll be our slaves and you'll serve us. Goliath continued, This day I dare the soldiers of Israel to send a man down to fight against me. Saul and the whole army of Israel heard what the Philistines said, and they were terrified. David was the son of Jesse, who belonged to the tribe of Ephraim. Jesse was from Bethlehem and Judah. He had eight sons. When Saul was king, Jesse was already very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul into battle. The oldest was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest sons followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul's camp to Bethlehem. He went to Bethlehem to take care of his father's sheep. Every morning and evening, David came forward. Goliath came forward. Every morning and evening, evening Goliath came forward and stood there. And he did it for 40 days. Jesse said to his son David, Get at least half a bushel of grain that has been cooked, also ten loaves of bread, and take it all to your brothers. Let me stop there for just a second. And so you have these, these two armies that are opposing each other. 
you have Goliath, who's this Philistine, who steps out day after day after day. And, and uh, the text says that he does this every day for 40 days. Of course, a, a biblical number of wholeness, of completion. And so he does it for 40, for 40 days and, and, and even has this plan. You know, why, why fight one another and lose so many lives? Why not just find someone who can, can go against me? Of course, it seems like a really good idea to him because, mm-hmm. because he's coming from this position of power. And he does it for 40 days. And if you keep reading the text, uh, you've got David who shows up with, what was it, half a bushel of grain that has been cooked and then 10 loaves of bread for his, uh, for his brothers. And so his, his father, Jesse, instructs, take this, take this to your brothers so that they can have something to eat. Um, half a bushel of grain that's been cooked. I don't know, I'm, I'm picturing like oats or grits or something like yeah, that, right? Or, or cooked fried wheat or something, yeah. <laughs> and then 10 loaves of bread. This was also obviously not uh, not keto friendly. Carb loading for battle. Ca- yeah, right. Yeah, but yeah. the commander gets the cheeses though. So like he's, <laughs> the commander gets to stay on his diet. But the, the, the guys who may die, the soldiers, they, they got a carb load. They're carbon up for battle. I, I, I like that. Um, and so, if you if you keep reading, you've got you've got David, who's already been who's already been anointed by God. He's already been by by Samuel, God's God's servant and prophet. He's already been declared by God to be a man who is after after God's own heart. And uh, and yet David is still very much in this in this role of of servant, and in this role of of shepherd. You know, when once we once we move forward in our in our study, and we. It, at least highlight some of the some of the psalms along the way, mm-hmm. and in David's approach to the psalms, um, this this role of servant and this role of of shepherd um, will, will will certainly come into play in how David goes about uh, writing and orchestrating, uh, illustrating the, the things that he does within the within the psalms. But if you keep reading the text, you've got David who comes to the front lines to care for his brothers, and it's on that fortieth day where Goliath steps out and defies, defies not only the army of God, but who defies God himself. And David, whenever he hears this, he hears it from that perspective. And, and Goliath, who has been doing this day after day, as he's, as he's saying these things against God, David, as soon as he hears it, um, it's, it's a loose interpretation of the Hebrew language, but David basically says, somebody needs to go shut this guy up, yeah, yeah. right? Who is this joker? Who's yeah. this clown? Who, who, who is this, Who's this clown? Who is this, who is this yeah. joker? Yeah. <laughs> Who's this guy I think he is? Right. And, 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 and there's this, there's this, there's this, um, this faithfulness within David when he hears Goliath threatening the army of God, but threatening, threatening God. There's this, there's this faithfulness within David that rejects that and rejects it because how could anybody say this against God because no one is God but God. And I love that about David. And I think that even connects, that even connects to David being, his response is connected to who God already knew him to be. David being a man after God's own heart is... Uh, certainly, there are some moments in David's life when he doesn't act like it. Uh, next month, we're gonna we're gonna consider one of those one of those moments. Um, and yet, God, knowing the totality of David's life, knows him to be a man after His own heart. And I think David's visceral response to to what Goliath is saying in conflict 
with, with the God of heaven and earth. David's response is, a, is a, uh, one of the ways that we, that we see him to be that, that, sort, of, that sort of person. Yeah, thoughts on that? I've rambled a little bit, but thoughts no, there's, on that? There's a holy indignation there on, on behalf of David that we, we often don't go that direction. I mean, if we tried to go fight everybody that talked badly about God, I mean, that's not what God would have us do. But there's also on the other end of that spectrum, there's a standing up for the holiness of God and for who God proclaimed his people to be and and how those people are supposed to function in battle, meaning they should have won already. It's 40 days later. And, and you see it when Goliath, when Israel allows Goliath to define Israel. He says, are you not servants of Saul? And you mentioned mm-hmm. this. Are you not servants of Saul? He defines them for them. And Israel doesn't, you don't see anything about Israel coming back and saying, no, that's not correct. Mm. And this, thus, the enemy has defined you. Mm. And when you let the enemy define who you are, you're already starting off behind. Mm. David comes back and he's, he almost comes up and he senses this improper definition mm. and he's hot about it. And we'll see next time how much trash David talks when God's holiness is called into question. Yeah. And it's all directed to, it's not, I'm going to beat you up or any of that. It's all about God. And it's about God coming and rescuing Israel, standing up not just for God's holiness and who he is, but standing up for this is my people. Mm-hmm. And my people may not be acting like my people, but they're my people. Yeah. And this doesn't, this doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. You've got the entire Israelite army who day after day is just shaking in their boots and they're, and they're fearful, uh, including Saul. Not only does Saul, Saul not correct, you know, Saul is this anointed king of Israel. He's, he's the, the king that they, that they asked for and got, and it's not working out so well. This is another example of why it's not working out so well. But you, you have not only the entire army of Israel who is shaking in their boots as, as Goliath is defying uh, the army and defying God, but Saul, Saul's not stepping forward either. And where's Jonathan? Yeah. yeah, we know Jonathan was a good fighter. Okay, yeah, and and he had charged a cliff and and beat up a bunch of Philistines with mm-hmm. just his armor bearer. Mm-hmm. So we know Jonathan can can roll some people. Where's Jonathan too? Yeah. So they're they're all apparently Goliath has them all shaking in their boots. Yeah, and you're right too. Whenever whenever you you uh, point us toward David responding <clears throat> in just in the, in the in precisely in the right way. And it's another il- illustration of, of how God does what he does um, oftentimes through situations, circumstances, and, and people that you would least expect. Uh, and yet David, even though he's young, David responding in, in exactly the, the appropriate, way, appropriate way given the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and in such a way that none of the others, none of the others have had the boldness and the courage, uh, the wherewithal uh, and the faith to, to do. Um, you know, Jesus in his, in his ministry, time and time again, he responds in just the right way. And that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. It's one of the things that I get frustrated um, about within myself because Jesus, Jesus knew when to flip over tables yes. and, he, and he, knew when, he knew when to ride in, ride in the sand. Uh, and, and I don't always know when to do that. <laughs> right. you know? yeah. uh, uh, I probably turn over tables more, um, more often than I, than I should. Um, that's one of the things that I love about Jesus, uh, and it's one of the things that I think we see here um, with with David. Um, Jesus, of course, in the line of, of David, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just one of the things that I think is is, is profound in in seeing uh, this connectedness in the story of God, but specifically with David's 
indignation. Somebody needs to go and shut this guy mm-hmm. up. All right, let me pick up in verse 31 and then read a, a, little, a little bit further in the text. Someone heard what David said and reported it to Saul. So Saul sent for, for David. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone lose hope because of that Philistine. I'll go out and fight him. Saul said, You aren't able to go out there and fight the Philistine. You're too young. He's been a warrior ever since he was a boy. But David said to Saul, I've been taking care of my father's sheep. Sometimes a lion or a bear would come and carry off a sheep from the flock, and I would go after it, and I would hit it. What do we hit it with? Yeah. You know what I mean? Fist. (laughs) (laughs) I would save the sheep from uh, it was carrying in its mouth. Uh, If it turned around to attack me, I would grab its hair. I would strike it down and kill it. In fact, I have killed both a lion and a bear. I'll do the same thing to this Philistine. He isn't even circumcised. He has dared the armies of the living God to fight him. This is David's contrast with he doesn't belong to God. He doesn't have this, this mark of the covenant of God's people. He's, he's um, perhaps to us in a very vivid way, but he is, just, he is saying, how is it possible that this individual that obviously doesn't belong to God, how is it that he can think that he could possibly be victorious against, yes, the army of God, but against God himself. He has dared the armies of the living God to fight him. Verse 37, the Lord saved me from the paw of the lion. He saved me from the paw of the bear. And he will save me from the powerful hand of this Philistine too. Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. I wonder how he said that. You know, David's like, I mean, Saul's like, you know, I haven't done anything at least for 40 days, but go, the Lord be with you. And we'll see how, what day 41 looks like for us. Verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own military clothes. Uh, He put on a coat of armor, Uh, put on Saul's armor. Uh, He put a bronze helmet on his head. Uh, David put on Saul's sword over his clothes. He walked around for a while in all that armor, but he wasn't used to it. I I imagine he looked pretty awkward and clunky, you know, trying to do that. Uh, I can't go out there in all of this armor, David said to Saul. I'm not used to it. So he took it off. Then David picked up his wooden staff. He went down to a stream, chose five smooth stones. He put them in the pocket of his shepherd's bag. Then he took his sling in his hand and he approached Goliath. And then if I read any further, I'm going to get into what Kurt is going to look at in the next next episode. There's two primary points that I want to make just in considering this this preliminary um, scene, these events before uh, David's um, battle with with Goliath. Very short-lived battle, but a battle nonetheless. The first thing is, is that David is, he's not just put off by what Goliath is saying, he's, he's offended by it. Uh, we've already talked about that. But he's, he's offended by it, not even so much for himself, but he's, he's offended because Goliath is standing against, against God. Uh, and I also can't help but think that he's not, not just a little bit put out um, by the, the fear of, of the other soldiers, the, the fear of of his own brothers, <clears throat> in the fear of uh, of Saul, even, and every day as as Goliath steps before Israel, uh, in essence, uh, spouting power. This is what this is what power looks like, and uh, David David sees things from a godly perspective. And then the second thing that I want us to see is that that David goes about all of this just by being 
um, who he is um, just by being God's, God's person. And I think maybe we see that a little bit whenever Saul is saying, here, take this helmet, take this armor, take this sword, um, try, try this on. And it's, uh, it's, it's almost comical how David tries it all on and then says, hey, this, this is not working for me. Right. Uh, um, this version at least said, you know, I'm not used to it. Uh, just not, just not comfortable in it, and and how I think even Dave, David taking all that off, and as he goes into battle against Goliath, he picks up his shepherd's bag, he picks up his staff, he picks up these smooth stones, puts them in his bag, and just says, "I'm I'm going to be who I am. I'm just I'm going to I'm going to be the person that that I am. But the person that I am is going to be someone who's in line with with who God is and what God wants from me. Any thoughts on yeah. those two things? And it's that's a critical point we're going to talk about it next time that God made you a certain way and God's going to work through you but he's going to work through you he's not going to work through you trying to be somebody else and David very clearly realizes who he is hmm. and he's not going to go in the armor of the day he's not going to try to be or emulate the great warriors of the day hmm. he says I can't be that guy and I'm not going to be that guy and in fact, if he was going to try to be that guy, God wouldn't have been able to work through him. Yeah. He probably would have gotten, gotten beat. But he says, I'm going to be me because God made me a certain way. He wired me a certain way. And God's going to be the one that wins the battle anyway. And so God works through David because David chooses to be who he is. And you mentioned a good point on Goliath just encapsulating <laughs> the power of the day. If, if you could craft a soldier in that age of, of history in single combat, which is what they're doing, is the Eastern tradition of, look, let's not have the armies fight, let's do single combat. If you could craft a soldier that would, that would look the part, it would be Goliath. It'd be someone huge. The first thing he's got is a, is a gigantic weaver's beam spear. Mm -hmm. That gets chunked first, and then he picks up the sword, and then how are, you talk about his armor. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a chink in it anywhere? Mm -hmm. So how do you take on a guy like that? He was the power of the day, but David and God saw things from a spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. It was, and you think about God, I don't care what the, God doesn't care what the power of the day looks right. like. Nations right. are dropping the bucket. He's going to work the way he works no matter what. Mm -hmm. So it, it and, that, and you kind of bring that forward to today of, any situation we're in where we're fearing, where we feel like we're up against somebody or something or some situation that in our modern times looks way too powerful for us, mm. you think of this and you think, I'm gonna be who I am, I'm gonna be who God made me, and God will work through me. Mm. But he can't work through me if I try to be somebody else. Yeah, yeah there's there's a, a high level of, of trust just in in David's statements. And then when you follow that with David's, with David's actions, and it reminds me of, you know, that, that moment where, where Jesus is is having this conversation with Pilate um, before the, the scourging, before before he's handed over to be crucified, and Jesus is having this conversation with Pilate with regard to to power, power and, and truth, and Pilate is like, so so you're a king, and. What Pilate means is, if you're a king, why isn't anyone coming to rescue you? Mm -hmm. If you're if you're a king, where where is where is your where is your army? And it, it's this it's a stark contrast of of power because Pilate, coming from this perspective perspective of power, is saying, okay, if if you are who you're claiming, then where where's your army? 
why aren't they defending you? You're you're here all alone. And Jesus, who responds, um, you're right in saying that I'm a king, but my kingdom isn't isn't of this world. If it were, (laughs) you'd know it. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. there's and there's this just stark uh, contrast um, between you know the power in a power in a worldly sense, and then power with regard to to the kingdom of God, where where oftentimes it's it's the it's the meek. Um, who inherit the earth, and, and, and it's the, the losers of life um, who would inherit eternity. Uh, and just this, this, uh, this scene of, of David and Goliath makes me think of, of, of Jesus and, and Pilate. And um, Jesus, of course, of course demonstrating um, in that moment um, who he is and his knowledge of what I'm about to do is what is what it's all been about. And I kind of get a sense of that with, with David too, even though I don't know that David has, has that sort of insight. And I think David is just responding in a genuine, authentic, real sort of sense of this is who I am, this is what's right, and because this is right, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, and, and on a micro level, it's the way God <laughs> helped Israel take the promised land. And it was anytime Israel tried to go fight without... Without, mm-hmm. When they tried to go attack Ai, the little tiny city, yeah. after God had found the idols in their camp, anytime Israel tried to do it on my own, I'm going to do it in the ways of the world, we're bigger, we're stronger, we're going to take this city, they failed. Mm-hmm. When they won was when they went out with the faith of God, faith that God was going to go before them, and they were, they were operating properly. And God won the victory for them. He beat the giants and he beat all these people. Same thing with David. It's almost like God's telling the Israelites yet again, look, you put your trust in arms, it's not going to happen. Here's a little guy, and I'm going to give you a victory today because he trusts me. It's like, let's bring you back. Mm-hmm. Let's bring you back to how you got the promised land. Mm-hmm. This guy trusts me. I'm, I will fight for him. And then it happens. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. And, and the, the idea of being confronted, David being confronted by Goliath, um, who's blaspheming against God, and maybe even to, to draw an analogy of how when, when we're confronted, whether we're confronted by opposition or confronted by, especially in an ethical sense, or maybe even to consider being confronted by sin, whether it's, it's a sin in our own life or maybe in, in the, the sin in the lives of, of others. And then what we do with that, how we, res- how we respond, respond to that, um, because ultimately that's what sin is. Sin is opposition to God. Uh, let me read this passage from, uh, from James chapter 1. Uh, just a few few verses. Uh, James, the, the brother of Jesus, he, he writes this. He says, Blessed is the person who keeps on going when times are hard. Uh, continuing to read out of the New International Reader's Version, and it's written like on a sixth grade level. Maybe that's why I'm liking it. <laughs> uh, blessed is the person who keeps on going when times are hard. After they have come through the, those hard times, this person will receive a crown. The crown is life itself. The Lord has promised it to those who love him. When a person is tempted, they shouldn't say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted by evil. And he doesn't tempt anyone, but each person is tempted. When by their own evil desires, these desires lead them on and drag them away. When these desires are allowed to remain, I think that's key. When these desires are allowed to remain, they lead to sin. And when sin is allowed to remain and grow, Sin leads to death. I, I like the language here from, from James, and especially in, in this, in this uh, version of it. Uh, when desires, temptations are allowed to remain, 
that leads to sin. Goliath had been there day after day after day for 40 days. Um, you know, David didn't hear what Goliath had said and then say, well, that doesn't really set well with me. Let me, let me think about it and, and try to devise some sort of response. No, his response was, was immediate. This is not mm-hmm. right. Uh, and, and especially when it comes to our being faithful people, recognizing the enemy's attack, his attacks upon us, and responding in, in faithful ways. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it, David responds faithfully, and, and, and we kind of touched this, where he gets, he gets indignant for that glory of God. And it's interesting you went to James and about kind of bringing it on a personal level, mm-hmm. about allowing desires to remain. I mean, how often are we told in the New Testament when it comes to sin to reckon yourself righteous? You're told to consider yourselves dead mm-hmm. to sin. Mm-hmm. You're told to put off the old self and put on the new self. But all of that happens. Oh, set your mind on things of the Spirit, not mm-hmm. the mind on things of the flesh in Romans mm-hmm. 8. All of that happens up here in your mind. Mm-hmm. And the Israelites, when you look at the battle, they're struggling mentally because mm-hmm. they've already lost in their head. Mm-hmm. They, no one had shed any blood. It's so much of battle and so much of your fight in life and your fight against sin, it's up in your head. And you can lose before you even go out there and try. Mm-hmm. You've got to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, Romans 8, or in Colossians, I was mm-hmm. reading this morning in Colossians 3, about putting off the old self, put on the new self. Mm-hmm. It's something you have to do in your head and in your heart. You've got to take it off and put on who God says you are, not who you feel like that day. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we talked about this in being a man after God's own heart. You may wake up and not feel great. You may wake mm-hmm. up and, and your hormones are off and, and perhaps you've sinned and you want to kick yourself for it. You've got to go to who God says you are and put that on every day. And that, that's our battle. That's our faith battle as Christians. It's interesting with the Apostle Paul thinking about his, not just his 13 letters, but just kind of the theology that spans those letters and how, you know, Paul will reiterate time and again that we're to, we're to, to put on Christ by being baptized in Christ. We, we, we put him, that's how we, we, we clothe ourselves with Christ as we submit ourselves in, uh, in baptism. Uh, but then you have this, this daily putting on. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you, you keep on putting those clothes on, and it's not as if we're baptized day after day, but it's, live, it's living a life that is in submission to uh, Christ and living, living a baptized life. Yep. The second point that I wanna make is a lot of times we try to help God out, and it appears that's what's going on with, with Saul and the armor in, in that sort of thing with, with David. Uh, maybe to, to connect with, um, with, with how we too often approach things. We try to help God out. Um, and I think there's a matter of, there's a matter of trust um, that is going on here that we can learn from, trusting that God is going to be God to us and then trusting that God is going to demonstrate who He is through us. If we're just open, if we're just willing, God doing what God does and demonstrating who he is through us. And the whole Saul's armor portion of the, of the story, I think, helps to, to, to highlight this. And really what we see is it's a conflict of kingdoms, just like we see that with David and Goliath. We even see that with this armor, Saul's armor and, and David. There's this conflict of kingdom. There's this, this kingdom vision of this world. And then there's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of empire. We might say empire versus uh, the kingdom kingdom of God. And in thinking about that, Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount 
is one of the things that came to mind for uh, uh, for me. It's where Jesus is saying, you know, why do you worry about clothes? See how the wildflowers grow. They don't work. They don't make clothing. Uh, but here is what I tell you. Not even Solomon in all of his royal robes was dressed like one of these. Uh, David's son, Solomon. Uh, if that is how God dresses the wild grass, won't he dress you even better? Your faith is so small. After all, the, the grass is here only today. Tomorrow it's thrown into the fire. So don't worry. Don't say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? People who are ungodly run after all of these things. Your Father, who is in heaven, he knows that you need them. But put God's kingdom first. Do what he wants you to do then all those things will also be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I think there is this, this baseline question of, do we, trust, do we trust God? And maybe in David's faith and faithfulness in hearing what Goliath is saying, and then in his resistance or rejection of, of Saul's armor, what we see is this example of trusting in God. And I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, do we, do we trust God? And maybe even coming back to that conversation between Jesus and, and Pilate um, about power, truth and power. Um, in today's political climate, can we talk about truth and power? Okay, maybe not. But Jesus has this conversation about truth and power with Pilate, and he says, if my kingdom were of this world, you'd, you'd know it because it's the kingdom of God. And in being a part of the kingdom of God, uh, going about things in a faithful and in a trusting way, in a way that demonstrates a, a, trust, a trust in God, even, even when from a worldly perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, it seems ridiculous that the Messiah would be crucified. That's, that's Peter's response when Jesus says, this is going to happen, and Peter says, there's no way, mm -hmm. because Peter knew who he was. And Jesus, of course, says, you're not seeing things from the right perspective. Um, and... Uh, from a worldly perspective, uh, the kingdom doesn't make sense. It makes no sense for David to go into battle against Goliath, who's prepared for it and, who, uh, and who's dressed for it. It makes no sense for him to go into battle against him without any, any, ar any armor. But that's worldly perspective versus, versus kingdom perspective. And uh, maybe to bring maybe this episode to a, to a conclusion... And then we'll pick things back up. Uh, Kurt will pick things back up for us um, here in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, but to, to seek the kingdom first and this kingdom where the first are last and the last are first and the losers inherit eternity, somehow we, we have to get to a point in our faith where we are kingdom people, where we, we're trusting in God and we're, we're being who he calls us to be. And I think, on, I think on one hand, this takes intentionality, but somehow on the other hand, if we're giving ourselves over to the Spirit of God, if we're living in step with God, if we're, if we're investing into relationship 
with him, studying his word, investing into prayer, surrounding ourselves with godly people. If somehow, yes, it takes intentionality, but it also simply should be who we are. That, that who we are as, as individuals is more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts, comments along the way? It's funny you mentioned who we are. There's in health and diet culture, people say, oh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. So if you want to be healthy, it's not a diet, you've got to live a certain lifestyle. And it's the same thing with Christianity. It's not something you can pop in and pop out of. It's a lifestyle and it's who you are. And when you mention the, the Sermon mm-hmm. on the Mount, and seeking first the kingdom of God, it just brings to home one key point, which is true for everybody listening, is that if you wake up and you seek God first and you try to get your joy in God for that day and that day only, so many things in your life will go right, Hmm. period. So you're saying that a a person who who, uh, exercises and eats correctly for one hour a week (laughs) <laughs> but who doesn't exercise or eat right for any other hour of the week is not going to be an Olympic athlete. Is that what Correct. You're saying? Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, going to church for an hour every week will not make you a Paul. Right? <laughs> you know, and, and there, there is, there is this. Uh, you know, just think of the word disciple. To be, a, to be a disciple is to be someone who is disciplined. I mean, it's the same root, the same root word. Uh, and yet discipline, and this, this, is, uh, this goes back to what you were saying with, with regard to, to daily putting on, putting on Christ, mm-hmm. daily being, being faithful. It's a choice that we make day by day. It's a choice that we make moment by moment to be, to be defined, by, um, defined by God and defined by our relationship with Him through, through Christ. Somehow to get to the point in our faith to where, to where yes, we're, we're, we're being intentional and yet, we also find this ease of giving ourselves over to God and simply being who He's called us to be. I think that's what Jesus means when He says, my yoke is easy mm-hmm. and, my, and my burden is light. Amen. All right, we'll pick things back up uh, here in, in, a, in, a, in a couple of weeks with our, with our next episode and uh, with David and Goliath. I appreciate you joining us today. And uh, before we end our time, let me go ahead and, and lead us in a word of prayer. Father, we are humbled that we can can be in your presence, that we can know with confidence that you you love us and you so desire for us to to be near to you. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to remove those obstacles in our lives, the, the things that get in the way of our being the men and women you call us to be. God, I thank you for your word and for the, the, the blessing of this time together. I pray that the things that we've considered would not remain on the page, but Father, I pray that who you call us to be would infiltrate every, every facet of our lives. We thank you for Jesus and we thank you for the, the gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.